If you have your copy of uh, Scripture in front of you, find uh, First Chronicles, and that's not easy to find. But First and Second Kings, and First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament, and uh, First Chronicles chapter four, and uh, we're going to read beginning uh, verse nine, verses nine and ten. First Chronicles four, nine and ten. If you have your uh, Bibles open, you'll see that this, uh, this paragraph comes in the middle of a genealogy. So there's the, there the descendants and the descendants and the descendants. And then the genealogy is interrupted with this, this paragraph about uh, Jabez. Verse 9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. In the days of Jabez, they didn't name children names that just sounded good or were popular on a list of you know, the most uh, popular names of the year. That they waited until a child was born and then they gave him or her a name uh, that uh, somehow described or was related to the situation or circumstances into which he or she was born. That still happens in a number of places in the world today. He was born into some sort of difficulty for uh, his mother named him Pain, Jabez. And of course, as I said, this um, this genealogy is interrupted with the story of his prayer. We, we've been told by lots of motivators that we're supposed to have a, a, a life mission. Well, it appears that Jabez had a life prayer. And so this morning, it, it's, and that prayer is appropriate for an individual. It is appropriate also for a congregation, I think, on the verge of a new year. So that's how I'm going to approach it this morning. And I'm going to take, um, I'm going to break it apart. I'm going to take it a little bit different order uh, than the words that he, uh, the words as he ordered them, uh, but I think we won't violate the meaning of Jabez's uh, life prayer and apply it to uh, FBC Huntsville entering uh, 2021. So let's look at this prayer and take it apart. Number one, he says, uh, bless us. Some of you may have read uh, the, uh, the, the little book several, several years ago. Gene Wilkerson wrote the book, The Prayer of Jabez. It was wildly popular, sold 9 million copies. But it had its critics. And one of the criticisms of the book and even of the prayer is this line, uh, bless me. Because it appears somewhat selfish, somewhat self-centered. In fact, uh, Charlie leads us in singing sometimes a, a song of worship that says, I'm not, I'm not here for a blessing. So it, it is possible to pray this selfishly, kind of narcissistically. God bless, here I am, just bless me. But if we have the right motive, it is, of course, an, an appropriate prayer. It is a recognition that uh, the world's needs and our opportunities as a church uh, cannot be met by by our own resources. It is a recognition that when it comes to the world's needs and our resources, our, our minds can't, um, can't conceive of them all. Our strategies cannot anticipate them all. When it comes to the world's needs and our resources, our, our budget can't pay for them all. Our buildings can't hold them all. Our, our staff can't 
plan for them all. Our, our church family can't execute them all. But when it comes to the world's needs and our opportunities, they are so tremendous, so great, so even overwhelming that we must pray, God, God bless us. You know, every, every good organization has a, an HR, a human resources department. We need, of course, a DR, a divine resources department. So in the words of Ezekiel 34 and the hymn writer that put music to them, uh, let there be showers of blessing. I, I pray with you that in the new year God would bless us. The second phrase from this, this uh, prayer, protect us, or as he said it, keep us from harm and pain. It is appropriate to pray for protection. I often do. If uh, one of our kids or, you know, with the grandkids, if they're traveling late at night, I'll pray for their uh, protection. People pray, God, protect uh, my friends, protect us as we, as we travel or whatever. The, I think it's appropriate to ask that God protect us. I don't know how it works. And I know Christians are not immune to, to crisis and and tragedy, but I do believe it is appropriate. And I don't know how the whole guardian angel thing works, but I, I do believe that there have to be times, countless times, when unknown to us, that God has intervened to protect us, maybe because somebody prayed for our protection. It is appropriate to pray for physical protection. When I dedicate a child and I walk up and down among you, I, I always pray, God, protect him, protect her. But of course, when I say protect us on December the 27th, 2020, the first place we go probably and appropriately is to COVID-19. And so we pray, God protect us from the pandemic. That doesn't mean we become immune and it doesn't mean we can't, well, we don't have to do our part, but God will do our part, but we ask that you would protect us from this, uh, this awful uh, virus. You have seen, of course, the spike in uh, COVID cases in our community. You have heard the stories and, and know personally people in our congregation. You know, the numbers are increasing even in our congregation of those who have tested positive and those who've had to quarantine because of uh, exposure, and that includes our staff. The numbers, and it's not an outbreak, but the numbers are significantly worse than they were when we closed down or suspended in-person worship back in the, in the spring. So you might have seen uh, the newsletter this week or heard that, that as of next Sunday, we are suspending in-person worship. We'll be online, we'll be on TV, of course, but uh, this, this will be our last Sunday of in-person worship for a little while, and we hope it's a little while, and plan for it to be a, a short while. We're, what are we waiting on? Well, we're going to, and, and thanks to the trustees for being so foresightful, uh, we're installing UV lights in the uh, HVAC, in the system, uh, so that in the returns, so that um, when the air passes through those returns, the UV lights will uh, kill the germs, including uh, COVID-19 germs, and that, to, to quote Mike Kirk, is another line of defense in our attempt to be as safe as we can. Um, we're going to watch the numbers, of course, and we have a decision-making team that's going to meet again on January the 18th uh, to assess our situation. That team includes two of our physicians. Uh, we have brought in as a kind of an external consultant, uh, an infectious disease specialist, 
And uh, so we're, you know, it'll take us probably mid, late January to get the UV lights installed. Uh, you'll hear, be hearing about that, of course. But now, th there were three things that caused me to get our decision-making team together. Uh, first was a conversation with a young lady in our church who is a nurse at a local hospital, and she spoke of how weary that she and her fellow staff are, not only of the work, uh, but of the deaths. So that gave me pause. And then, and then I had an email conversation with David Spillers, the CEO of uh, Huntsville Hospital, and I asked him, he didn't contact me, but I asked him, how are things at the hospital? And he said, we are at capacity, and over the next two or three weeks, we are in danger of being overwhelmed. And then I, the third thing was I went back and I read something that Francis Collins, who's the head of the National Institute for Health, had written. He's also a deeply devoted Christ follower. And he was making a plea to churches for the sake of their communities to suspend worship temporarily. And I, I took that seriously. So on Monday night, uh, this group of decision makers uh, got together and uh, unanimously said, it is time for us to temporarily uh, suspend worship. Whenever church leaders uh, say we're going to suspend in-person worship, whenever church leaders, and I mean anywhere, uh, whenever church leaders say let's wear masks and let's social distance, almost inevitably somebody is going to quote 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, which says, God has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power. Of course, the implication is that if we were more courageous if we had more faith, then uh, we'd gather and we'd sing and, and we wouldn't worry about, uh, we wouldn't worry about a pandemic because after all, God is bigger and, and he, can take, he can take care of us. Well, may I give you a, uh, just a glimpse into my heart for a moment. I understand the thing about fear. And so I'm going to tell you, I, I did have to deal with and move beyond my own fear. When I called that committee together to talk about the decision to suspend worship, in-person worship temporarily, uh, I had to get beyond my fear. But it is not a fear of COVID-19. I'm not afraid of the pandemic. Now, I'm responsible. I haven't locked myself in the, in the attic, but I'm responsible and I'm pretty careful and and I pray God protect me. And I'm not, I, I know that the very breath that I breathe every day is a gift from God. So if I pray God protect me and I'm responsible, then I know I can trust God to do what is right. It doesn't make me immune. Uh, I may test positive two weeks from now. I hope not, but it doesn't make me immune. My point is I'm not afraid of COVID-19. You know what I'm afraid of? Of people disengaging from this church. That's what I had to deal with and move on. Experts around the country are talking about it, how that you know, when the, when the pandemic is over, they're saying only 75% of the people who were part of, you know, active in the churches before are coming back. So every time we don't meet in person, we run the risk of somebody disengaging. People's rhythms are changing. People's priorities are changing. And quite frankly, somebody might say, if First Baptist is not going to meet in person, I'm going to go to a church that does, where they, where they believe God is powerful, where they have faith, and where they're courageous. Somebody might say that. I understand that. So you see, I'm, I'm more afraid of not meeting than I am of meeting. The fear I had to deal with and move beyond 
It's not the fear of meeting. It's the fear of what might happen if we don't. I love this church, and every time somebody disengages from our church, we become a little weaker. Now, God is adding others to our family. That's true, and it kind of mitigates the loss. But we're never as strong as we could have been if somebody disengages. So the fear I had to deal with and move beyond is the fear that somebody might disengage or even leave. And as long as I'm giving you a, a glimpse into my heart, quite honestly, I, I didn't look forward to you know, the criticism that always comes whenever any leader makes a tough decision. It helps that um, for a hobby, I referee high school football. That helps because it kind of prepares you, you know. But even, even on a Friday night, I mean, I, I know that a, a good part of the night is going to be spent with people disagreeing with my decisions. But I still prefer somebody saying, good call, ref. It doesn't happen all that often, but, I, you know, I preferred that. Now, I didn't fear criticism. I just, you know, I, I'm like you. I don't enjoy it. So the fear that I had to grapple with and move beyond was what might happen if we don't meet in person. But remember, courage is not the absence of fear. It is the willingness to do the right thing even when we are afraid. And on Monday night with that group of decision makers, it was, it was unanimous and obvious to us, at least to us, that this is the responsible thing to be good members of our community. So we're talking about protecting us. So I believe it is appropriate to pray God protect us, but we do our part. But I'm not going to say God protect me and then walk out onto the middle of 565. So let's pray God protect us and let's, let's do our part. The third thing he prayed, let your hand be with us. And what is the hand of God? The hand of God in the Bible represents his power. Acts eleven twenty one. the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. For reasons I don't understand, God sometimes places his hand on congregations. Now, sometimes congregations grow because, like, you know, the, they're building suburbs all around them, and they just happen to be in a good place physically, and if they don't mess things up, then they grow. But there are churches that grow that kind of defy the odds. It's not that they have a great pastor or that they have a, you know, great facilities or something. God just, in his sovereignty, seems sometimes to just choose to place his hand on a congregation and use them beyond ways that seem natural. And I, it may sound hokey, but I think God has chosen to place his hand on this congregation. And so I, I want to make sure that we don't do anything that dishonors him so that he withdraws his hand. I was reading last night that, text, that, that phrase about the hand of God and found a place in the Old Testament where they dishonored God and the Bible says he withdrew his hand. I don't want us to, I don't want us to do that. Again, the world's needs and our opportunities are so great that without the hand, without the power of God, we're going to fall way short of who we could be and what we could do. So I, I, I think in 2021 we pray, God, let your hand be with us. Fourth and finally, enlarge our territory. Now that's another reason for which this prayer has been, um, has been criticized that enlarge our territory can sound rather self-centered and selfish, self-serving. But it doesn't have to be. If our motives are right, I believe as a church we can pray, God, expand, enlarge our 
territory. What might that mean? Well, it might mean geography, physical enlargement. You know, we, for, ye- for years we talked about being church at the heart of the city, but about a year ago we expanded that to talk about church at the heart of the city with a heart for the region. Because we really are a regional church. We are in Huntsville, but our, our, I believe our heart and our impact reach beyond the confines of Huntsville. You know, watching this morning, whether it's online or on TV, TV will be people from Athens to Scottsboro, from Fayetteville to Guntersville. What if we were to partner with some really good ministries, you know, holistic, Christ-centered ministries in places across North Alabama. We have partnered with some wonderful ministries in Huntsville. What if we were to expand that so that we develop relationships and partnerships region-wide? And what if there were to be people across our region, not just, you know, within the, our immediate community who would decide to be part of our our church family. I think that would be wonderful. So I, I entered 2021 praying, God, enlarge our, our territory, not for selfish reasons, I hope, but with good motives. God, help us to be a good regional church to take advantage of the opportunities before us. But there's something else other than geography and a physical expansion. What if we were to pray, God, enlarge our opportunities? And what if God were to use the pandemic, actually use the pandemic to do that? Recently in a minister's staff meeting, John Lemons, our minister to young adults, gave a powerful uh, devotional thought from Acts 8. Acts 8 tells the story of the persecution of the church, the, the congregation in Jerusalem. It began with the stoning, the killing of Stephen, the persecution spread to all the members of that congregation. And then they, they fled and they spread out across the Middle East. And God, God used that to enlarge their territory, to, to provide them opportunities they never would have had had they remained in Jerusalem. Listen to the beginning of Acts 8. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church. And I want you to remember that phrase. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And that's bad news, but listen to the next verse, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Satan, the prince of darkness, must have smiled when the persecution broke out and they began to scatter. You know, I can see him doing that kind of dastardly sort of rubbing his hands together and that devilish smile of his thinking he had won, but his plan backfired because they preached the word wherever they went. And Acts 8 and 9 continue. So in Samaria, the first place, Philip went and he preached and God performed miracles and a whole city turned to Jesus and, 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 and the Bible says that great joy broke out in that city. And then, and then Antioch. Lots of them scattered to Antioch up in Syria. 
Now in Jerusalem, it was, this was primarily a Jewish congregation. They were Jewish Christians that had come out of the Jewish faith. But in Antioch, it became this international church, reaching people they never would have reached, obviously, had they just remained in Jerusalem. And then beyond that, the, the gospel spread to Europe, where it would take deep roots, and where actually Europe would become the cradle of the Christian faith for the next two millennia. It was the, it was the separation and isolation of Christians that resulted in the adaptation and propagation of the Christian faith. Let me say that again, not because it rhymes, but because it's important. It was the isolation and separation of Christians that resulted in the adaptation and propagation of the Christian faith. They knew how to do church when everybody had come out of the Jewish faith. They knew how to do church when everybody was from Jerusalem. They didn't know how to do church in isolation and separation. But they, they adapted. They changed. They must have seen this not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity. And they preached the word wherever they went. John Lemons called it the great turning point of church history. And he's right. The great turning point in church history was something that they could not have seen coming and certainly would not have wanted. But because they were willing not to quit and to find new ways uh, to preach the word, the Christian faith exploded across the world. The pandemic has been so painful for us in so many ways. But what if God would, were to use that like he did the, the persecution of the of the people in the Christians in Jerusalem. For example, our TV broadcast. When we stopped our in-person worship last spring, we had to come up with a new way of, of doing our, our Sunday morning TV broadcast, which has been going for four decades. There's nothing happening in the sanctuary at 10.30, so we had to dream up a new, a new format. Now, not everybody likes every change, of course, but uh, you may have heard me say that the, um, the TV station, WHNT, is showing us our viewers, and the viewership is significantly higher than it was this time last year. Now, I know, I, I know lots of the new viewers are people who are at home, their churches are not meeting, and they, they have their TVs on, and they watch. I know that. But what if, what if a thousand of the new viewers, what if, what if a hundred of the new viewers, what if... 25 of the new viewers are people who this time last year would not have given a church the time of day. What if there are 25 people across North Alabama who this time last year would never have sat through uh, something on television that had to do with church, but maybe they were quarantined, maybe they were ill, maybe they were just bored and thought they would give it a try. What if, what if the good news made its way into some corners of North Alabama that would have been impossible had we, had we not gone through this, this epidemic. And then two weeks from today, we launch a new service. So at 10.30, we will be broadcasting, well, when we start meeting again, 
At 10.30, we will be broadcasting live from the sanctuary like we have for 40 years. But over on, that's on WHNT, but over on WHDF, we will be, uh, we're going to have a 30-minute broadcast planned especially for people who don't understand church culture. So there's going to be a community segment, there's going to be a, a brief message, there'll be some music. We are doing our best to creatively engage people we are not engaging now. And we would never have thought about that had it not been for the epidemic, we would, or the pandemic. We would never have thought of that. So what if the gospel makes its way into some new corners of North Alabama because of, because of the pandemic? The virtual living Christmas tree. So many of us this year missed being in the building with all that energy, I, I did. It felt kind of like a pseudo-Christmas without the living Christmas tree. But this year, it went virtual, and the team did such a magnificent, marvelous job, creative job of making a wonderful virtual living Christmas tree. And that's not only been on TV, but it's been on social media platforms. And I can almost guarantee you there's some people that saw the living Christmas tree this year who wouldn't have seen it last year, would never would have come to 600 Governor's Drive. And so maybe the good news of Christmas, the story of Christmas, made its way this year into nooks and crannies and alleys and corners of North Alabama and beyond. Because we did a virtual living Christmas tree. We would never have chosen to do that. And I doubt we choose to do it next year. But, but what, if the, what if the pandemic, what if God chose the isolation and the separation to bring about the adaptation and the propagation of the Christian faith? Fresh expressions of church, new forms of church have never been more important than they're going to be post-pandemic. Our children's building that we're renovating and building and thinking we were renovating and building areas uh, for, for our children and our grandchildren. But maybe it's not just for our children and grandchildren. What if that children's building God had in mind all along to be a community center of sorts for the children and grandchildren of people we never would have met? It was the isolation. It was the separation and isolation of the church of Christians that led to the adaptation and the propagation of the Christian faith. What if God is doing it? What if God is doing it again? And so I, I, I pray with you for our church. God bless us because the needs and our opportunities are greater than we can handle on our own. And protect us. We'll do our part, but protect us. And Lord, keep your hand on us. If you've blessed us, then don't, if you've blessed us with divine power, please don't withdraw your hand. And enlarge our territory, whether that's geographical or, or influence or opportunities. Uh, with good motives, God enlarge our, our territory. John Lemons, uh, finally, and I asked him for a copy of that devotion because it was so good. John wrote, someday in the future, those at FBC of Huntsville will come after us and read about us. The words about our time will read, On that day, a great pandemic broke out against the church. But what will they read after these words? Will they see that we embrace the opportunity to invent and innovate and seize the chance to once again become an unstoppable force? That part is up to us. And the best part of that prayer may be the last phrase. 
And God granted his request. So I pray these things with you, and I'll work toward these things with you as we enter a new year. And maybe God, by his grace, will grant our, our requests.